So I will share some reflections I have on this, on this teaching, which potentially could go on for days. It's really quite rich. Uh, I, I don't want to. Um, so I don't know when we'll cut it short, but um, if you want to stay for Q&A, but you know that you have to leave earlier, uh, it's okay with me. In other words, I'm revising the etiquette a bit, because I understand that some of you have uh, travel plans and uh, schedules to meet. So it won't be rude if you just want to stay for a bit, maybe have a question, and then leave. Uh, it's fine. Um, <clears throat> I usually don't, I don't like to teach with notes or a script, uh, except when I teach a sutta, because I want to make sure that I have at least some accuracy in the, in the words as best as possible. Um, before I get to it, I see a, a lot of new faces, at least new to me. How many are fairly new to meditation or to insight meditation? A show of hands, please. Thank you, that's helpful. I think I ought to, uh, some preliminary remarks to place what, what this is. Um, there are endless, countless talks that the Buddha uh, is supposed to have given. There were no tape recorders or, or TV cameras, so we don't really know. And a, a lot of it was put together years after the Buddha had died, uh, some of it through memory. Um, <clears throat> and it's vast. The corpus of teaching is vast. But it's not a, a book, let's say a holy book, in a certain sense, let's say like the Bible, the Quran, or for example, uh, my grandfather's uh, Orthodox Jewish, and I had a lot of questions about some of what I read uh, in the old Bible, which made no sense to me, especially as I started taking science classes. And he would try to answer them. Finally, he would end the conversation by, it says, it says in the book. That's the end of the conversation. <laughs> Finished. Uh, oh, okay. If it says, in other words, this book is infallible. Uh, maybe. Definitely not. <laughs> um, the Buddhist teachings are very, very different. Um, if you want to read, uh, there's one sutra which is very important to read early on. It was the first one I read, or I don't think I would have even started practicing, called the Kalama Sutta, where the attitude is not so much this is a book to believe. All these teachings are teachings to be believed in, to have faith in. Uh, and if you believe and have faith in them, then you're in the circle, and if you don't, you're out. Uh, more they're guides to practice and they're for you to test. They're more like uh, hypotheses. You're encouraged to not accept it simply because it's ancient, simply because a lot of people, uh, let's say, if any of you have beards, but you know, if you have a long beard, that doesn't mean you know it. Sorry, well, you know, it's n nothing personal. <laughs> this is ancient times. Um, or it, in other words, what he was trying to say is that these are guides to living, these teachings are guides to living in there. Uh, all of whatever he says, is, they're meant to be examined and tested in the fire of your life, in the fire of living. And But he also says, so it isn't just completely a free mind, he also says, take into account the experience of the wise. 
but that isn't necessarily that you don't have to follow it. It's just take it into account. We'd be foolish not to take into account. There have been a, many extraordinary people who have come for thousands of years uh, in the various Buddhist traditions, just to limit it to this. And if we didn't uh, weigh what they've said, but it doesn't mean they have the final say. In fact, finally, towards the end of his life, the Buddha, a very famous phrase, you've heard it, but you have to prepare to really do it, be a lamp unto yourself. So you're meant to test these teachings, and I'll try to um, demonstrate in these teachings how if they're not alive to you, if this, one, this sutra is not alive to you, uh, then don't use it. It's, it's, a sutra, um, there, some of them, if you read a fair number of them, and I, I've read a lot of them uh, at least years and years ago. I haven't read this one in, a, in quite a while, but uh, it's been so important in my life that I, I know the essence of it. Um, there, some of them may, see, may seem contradictory, that if you read, and uh, the reason that that is so is because these were not systematic teachings. It was not like a course. Uh, the Buddha would meet very di people from different walks of life, different levels of spiritual maturity, and he would always start at, at the level of the, pe of the people that he was talking to or the person he was speaking to. And so uh, there are different teachings that are ap appropriate, and he even said his teachings are just a raft. They're, not, they're just to help you move to the other shore. Uh, if we, uh, that's, the other shore is right here, but uh, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> You're, you're already on the other shore, but you don't know it. So that's the problem. We don't know it. So, uh, so that, that's part of it. And the other is uh, it was assembled uh, by so many different people. So uh, these teachings are meant to be read, to be digested. They're more like even the Buddha, the Buddha said his teachings are like fingers pointing to the moon. Let's say that's the moon up there. Oh, that light, it's not, the moon is not out tonight. Uh, if you look, uh, the Buddha said all the Buddhas are, are fingers pointing to the moon. And these teachings are just verbal expressions from a Buddha, let's say. And the, the direction of the teachings is to get you to look where. Actually, it's not up there. It's right in here, into your own heart. That's the key in at least the Buddha's uh, paradigm, is that it keeps bringing us back to ourselves again and again and again. When we, whatever we uh, claim, whatever uh, problems we have, it's not to eliminate the outer problems, but it's always again and again and again to bring us back to what we apparently, this sutra is suggesting that, the last thing we want to do is be fully in the present moment. Somehow, uh, we prefer to be anywhere but fully in the present moment. Now, that's an illusion because all there is is the present moment. Okay, we'll get to that in a moment. So these, uh, these sutras are meant that way. Hint, if any of you want to start reading them, uh, if you pick one up and it resonates then keep reading it, but test it. You know, see, uh, see if it helps you in your life. If it doesn't, or if you start reading it and it doesn't seem to, uh, you don't have an affinity for it, let it go. There are so many that you can pick up and see if any of them help you. Um, this one, uh, the Bade Karata Sutta, which is a mouthful, 
it's sometimes translated on, on uh, well, I'll give you the, I am going to give you the translation or the essence of it, uh, an, an auspicious day. In other words, how to have an auspicious, what is an auspicious day? Now, you have to understand life in ancient India. What was auspicious for many, many people, especially religious-minded or psychic-minded, had to do with the stars, astrology, uh, all, uh, cosmic influences. Uh, there were endless things that pointed to what, uh, what uh, was auspicious. In other words, when you should do one thing and, and when you shouldn't. And the Buddha came along and really dispensed all that, and he describes what an auspicious day really is. It has nothing to do with uh, tarot cards or reading your... By the way, I've had tarot cards readings which were very accurate, but I felt the person reading it was just psychic. I didn't feel it was in the cards, but that's just my bias. What do I know? Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to just give you the essence of it. It's not long, so... Now, a sutta is meant, it's not like a, a classroom where you take notes. So I would appreciate it if any of you are thinking of notes. It doesn't look like it. Uh, so then I don't have to be a schoolmaster and say, please don't take notes. It's meant to let the words in and even as uh, practice mindful listening. In other words, you may hear some things and suddenly your mind is off to work this afternoon or what you're going to do tomorrow or uh, the election or whatever it is, see that and come back. So if you don't hear anything I've said, but you're starting to see how your mind listens, that would be a good use of your time. I hope you hear a few words that I say, but anyway. I have heard that on one occasion, the Blessed One, that's the Buddha, was staying at Savati at Jetta's Grove. Jetta's Grove, I was there uh, uh, was where a lot of uh, uh, the Buddha's retreats were held, a lot of the teachings that you read were, were there, and a very uh, a deep practitioner who was a lay person and was also a very wealthy businessman. So don't, if you think that because you're not a monk or a nun that you're, uh, you can't, uh, this has nothing to do with you, it's at least, I don't think so. This, uh, uh, this person was a businessman and uh, was interested in the highest teachings. In fact, the Buddha at one point chided some of the monks who were giving him low-level teachings because he was a layperson and was given very high-level teachings as he was dying. But at any rate, he, the Buddha liked this particular uh, field, which was used for retreats during the rainy season. But in order to get the land, uh, uh, this uh, wealthy... Um, this wealthy patron and, and student of the Buddha had, it was asked of him that he coat the entire it's very large uh, with coins whatever the coin of the realm was at that time and he did and so that is uh, became Jetta's Grove it's, um, you'll see it come up over and over again if you read any of these suttas that was Anattapindika was the name of this gentleman and it was called uh, Jephthah's Grove and Anattapindika's Monastery. There he addressed the monks. Now here, don't get confused. Don't think this eliminates you. Monks can be also interpreted as practitioners, serious practitioners. Uh, I like the term yogis. Yogi is not just taking your right big toe and touching your left ear. 
uh, a yogi, one of the meanings of yoga is skill in action. And it, it has, hatha yoga, physical yoga is a beautiful discipline, and it's caught on a lot, and it's very helpful. I do it myself. But uh, yoga is more than that. That's one piece. So when he's speaking, it's translated usually as monks. So don't, uh, don't feel that it doesn't mean you, because it, I'll call it yogis from here on in, all right? Um, there he addressed the yogis. Yogis? Yes, Lord, the yogis responded. The Blessed One said, Yogis, I will teach you the summary and exposition of one who has had an auspicious day. That's what he's getting at. This is one uh, translation and commentary which I personally like. Uh, what is really an auspicious day? Is it uh, in the stars? Is it? Uh, you'll see it in a moment. Listen and play, pay close attention. Okay, this is just true of all of the Dharma teachings. Uh, one of a teacher who I had, no matter what you would ask him, well, what is this? I happened. To, I was in the Zen tradition for about ten years, and no matter what you would ask him, well, what is Zen? Especially new people, he would just go attention, and I say. It's got to be more to it than that. So what, what is it? He said, okay, attention, attention. He said, that's it? I've come all this way? I remember one person. Uh, he said, okay, attention, attention, attention. Well, what does attention mean? It means attention. So we're learning how to pay attention to our life. Apparently, uh, why do we have to be uh, encouraged so much these days? It's all over. Be mindful, be in the present moment. Have you heard those phrases? They've gone way beyond organic and, uh, you know, non-glutinous and <laughs> soon it'll be, no I don't know if it's running neck and neck with a certain political, alright, forget that. <laughs> um, okay. Listen and, and pay close attention, I will speak. As you say, Lord, the monks replied, the yogis replied. The Blessed One said, and here we're getting into the heart of this, and it's not much, but this is the part that I feel has really been invaluable for me in my own personal life, and I'm sure in countless people, it's almost 3,000 years that this has been going on. You shouldn't chase after the past. I'm going to go slowly, and then we'll spell... A, we'll try to fill that in so that it makes sense. What are we talking about here? You shouldn't chase after the past. Well, you could, it, it's one translation, you shouldn't revive the past. Uh, or place expectations on the future. What is past is left behind. The future is as yet unreached. Whatever quality is present you clearly see. You clearly see. Now, this is a crucial term, clearly see. If the, the, the fundamental meaning of the term vipassana, any of you not heard that term? A show of hands, please. It helps me to know vipassana. We translate it as insight meditation because when we first came back from, uh, from Asia, we thought vipassana, and people couldn't pronounce it, vishpashanashan. You know, so <laughs> let's just call it insight meditation, get it over with. Which, and it is simpler, and the problem with it is pe people, it's a perfectly good English word, insight. So people have all kinds of uh, thoughts about that they know what an insight meditation is. It isn't. 
Sometimes it is. But it has specific meanings within the paradigm of the Buddhist teaching. Okay. So whatever is, is present, you clearly see. The key, crucial meaning of Vipassana is clear seeing. If you read certain Pali dictionaries, it'll be the, often the first word, first translation in English is uh, seeing clearly. Seeing accurately is another one. Seeing clearly and accurately. I think that'll, some of you may already know uh, what this is getting at. Whatever quality is present, you clearly see right there. In your case, it would be right here. I'm saying there, but it's, you have to, for you, it's here. It's you. It's about you, and for me, it's here. Right there, said twice. Not taken in. You know, you're not taken in by your, your relationship to the past or the future. Unshaken, that's how you develop the heart. Ardently doing what should be done today for, who knows, tomorrow, death. There is no bargaining with mortality and death's mighty hoard. Uh, this is all putting strong emphasis on the present moment. I'll make that clear, I hope, in a moment. Whoever lives thus ardently, relentlessly, both day and night, has truly had an auspicious day, uh, so says the peaceful sage. The peaceful sage is the Buddha. Okay. Um, let's get to the essence of what, what's going on here. Uh, because uh, it sounds like, if you just read it and become literal, and you've just heard it for the first time, which I assume that for many of you that's so, it sounds like... Um, Okay, then we're not allowed to have any, anything that's over with. We have to obliterate it. Are we, is this training in amnesia? Are we, are we asking you to get a prefrontal lobotomy? Or let's say if you meet someone new and they say, uh, Hi, how are you? Say, what are you doing? He says, Oh, I, I practice Buddhist meditation. But I'm, I say, Well, where are you from? No, we're not allowed to talk about the past. <laughs> you know. uh, it doesn't mean that. But I'll spell it out, what it, what it does mean and what it doesn't. Um, when this center first opened, uh, there was a Cambodian monk uh, who was very friendly, and he came come by the center a lot and uh, became a good friend. And uh, he gave talks here in the, in the first year of the center. Uh, his name was Ajahn Maha Gosananda. And uh, he, would, he had one teaching, again and again he would say it. What he would say was, well, if you ask him, well, what is this Dharma stuff that everyone's talking about? He says, the question is, does time eat you or do you eat time? What? Now, I didn't know what, <laughs> I didn't know what he was talking about, so if you're a little puzzled, so was I. It took me a while to realize, what does it mean to be eaten by time? And, or if you eat time? Uh, it's getting law. It was just, the mind, in a sense, is like the theater of the mind. It's a, a world that's created in the mind. And one of the, the, the radical departure, uh, in my, my view, and I don't think that Buddhists have the exclusive patent on it, but it's really strongly emphasized. And I don't know other religions really very well at all. So I can't, I'm not going to compare it because it's not a good idea anyway. Um, 
the core of the Buddhist teaching is that there's tremendous unnecessary suffering in the human race. In other words, we make each other miserable in many ways that it's unnecessary. Granted, there's going to be pain. The body ages, there's illness, uh, natural disasters, and so forth. But the element of the unexamined psyche it causes enormous uh, uh, optional sorrow in human beings. And so he said the, there are a number of meanings. He called this one, meaning, one definition is ignorance. There are the three poisons, greed, hatred, and ignorance is one sometimes is called delusion. That's, and it has many nuances, but one crucial one is that uh, ignorance is ignoring, is knowing, knowing yourself. That is, if you don't understand yourself, uh, we're so busy doing and w w uh, that we haven't examined ourselves thoroughly. Or more specifically, uh, the world of thought is a world that we have never examined because we're so busy using thought that we haven't taken the time to pause and say, well, what is thinking anyway? And what are the consequences of an unexamined mind? Uh, is it so? I'm sorry if I've neglected this side of the room. Uh, I think my neck has swivel limitations. It does. It goes this far. Sorry. But uh, I'll try to correct that. This is the way. Um, so if, if so much unnecessary sorrow is caused by ignoring ourselves, how we live, how we actually live, how our minds, and when I say mind, it includes what we call heart. What, what is that? Do we take time to really take a fresh look at it? Key word there is fresh. Uh, and what he's saying is we don't. So one of the meanings of ignorance is to ignore what really needs attention. Well, if that's so, what if we flip it around and start paying attention? That's what mindfulness is. Mindful of what? It's not just being mindful of the moon. You can be mindful of anything. But clearly what's radical, what's uh, emphasized again and again, or it's, it isn't Dharma teaching, is mindfulness of yourself. It's mindfulness of how you behave, how you speak, uh, how you think. Uh, there is nothing's left out. How you wash the dishes. It's not just sitting. The Buddha puts it in many, many times in different suttas. Uh, sitting, walking, lying down, and standing, the four main postures. In short, pay attention, be sensitive to how you actually live. Start learning about your life. Okay, so what is this, this sutra is saying that we're trapped in an unexamined functioning of the mind whereby we often are in a past that's over with. We're lost in it. We're caught in it. Or a future that doesn't exist. There is no such thing as the future. Because when we get there, it'll be the present. In fact, everything is in the present. It's all stored. The, the past and the future are also in the present. And even the present doesn't exist. We'll get to that. Well, there's a lot that I'm getting to. Uh, okay, now... When Mahagosananda is saying whether time eats you, time eats you, time is thinking. Now, this is psychological time. That's why I talked about living in real time. 
uh, it's virtual time. You know, time travel, you know, where uh, there, are lots, there are films now, you've seen them, you know, or, you, or you've seen the beginnings and don't want to watch it. That's more me. I, I don't like most of them. Uh, it's sort of somehow you're in, a, in the future and you li- it's as if it's real or it is real. Uh, this is time travel, but it's not as dramatic. There's not going to be any TV series on it or any movies made about it. It's that the mind makes up a past. Have you really ever attended to your memory? Recently, I had to do a lot of talking about growing up my whole life to, to some people I was interviewed. And, boy, I don't know how reliable the things I said are. I did my best. You know, because countries do it. They review their past and rewrite it so that it's functional for the present, so that it's useful for the present. And I saw... Did that really happen? I, I, had, I called up my sister a few times. Linda did blah, 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 blah. And she said, no, that wasn't. That was Uncle Charlie. That was, you're right. <laughs> so uh, the mind is, it, its recall is at best slippery and uh, brilliant. And it's uh, not necessarily so. Now, you can discipline yourself so that you can have a high sense of what actually happened and what didn't. If you, if you care about that, if you feel that there's a certain integrity when you talk about yourself. So, um, uh, when, the, when time eats you, it's, uh, time here is virtual time. Past are thoughts and images, right? The event is over. Think about what's happened to you, even just today. It's gone. Does anyone disagree? It's over. But then the mind, it's, it's, it's a video in there somehow. The mind will tell you, if you want, it, it'll play it back. Sometimes, often, most of the time, we don't even uh, press that channel. It just starts coming back. Maybe it's some unfinished business. I mean, maybe it's someone who uh, was uh, mean to you. Maybe it was someone who was very kind to you. Whatever it is, uh, it's over. And so what is happening is that's, uh, we're using the, the term thought. Thought here includes images, memories, moods. In other words, these are manufactured by the brain. It turned out the event is over. That's factual. And when are you experiencing the past? There's only one time to experience it. Right here, right now. And it's already gone. Okay. The future. Uh, so that's, that's what the future is also is thinking. We make up the future. Now, I'm not say- now, we will get to there are uses of, the, of reflecting on the past, and there are uses of uh, making a guess about, about the future. So really what's being said is uh, learning how to establish a proper, sensible relationship to the past and the future, but to not get enthralled, uh, intoxicated, lost in it without knowing that you're lost. That's why I call it a theater. Because we've not examined this very much. And even the present moment, uh, which it's gone, uh, but we, em- we em- embroider, we embellish it, we make up what it is through thinking. So thoughts are, it, thoughts are uh, a kind of reality that's fabricated. And it's skillful. Uh, human thought is magnificent. Look all that it has created. Uh, let's say time. Now clock time. Clock time, there's no such thing as clock time. We made up those. 
and, and mileage. We made that up. Is everyone clear on this? And, and it's useful. It's got practical consequences. We can meet each other. We set a time, start sitting at 6.30. Uh, we all can assemble here. So it's useful, but it's a convention that we've all agreed on. Okay, now, so the problem is not that. It has its uses. And space, miles, kilometers, we made that up too. There's just space, it's, and space is just what it is. It isn't even space, that's a word. And it isn't even time, that's a word. It, it is what it is. And yet, so we've used thinking brilliantly, the human race has, brilliantly. Look at all that it's created and all the horrors. It has created magnificent science and art and culture and endless and also nightmarish. Uh, we have the capacity to demolish each other. So uh, what all Dharma teaching is saying, uh, I'm putting it in my terms. You don't have to agree with anything I've said, by the way. Of course not. You know, if I don't make sense, you'll have an opportunity to question it. I hope you do. Um, we've defined intelligence unintelligently, in my, uh, it's one way of putting it, by uh, overestimating the applicability of thinking as being, if, if uh, thinking means knowledge, accumulation of knowledge, experience, which is magnificent if it's in its right place. Wisdom is the art of living. Art is putting things in their right place. So it's not that thinking is no good. It's just that we're not involved, we're not aware of what goes on when we start thinking about something because the thought will tell us that this is what's really happening and then, duh, we believe it. And so we're living in a conceptual world much of the time, thinking that that is the world. Is that puzzling? Well, you have a chance. We'll straighten it out. Try to anyway. Um, so, uh, all let's just say Buddhist meditation is uh, we're learning how to have tremendous respect for thought and to use it. After all, these are thoughts. But thoughts, uh, Dharma thoughts, are trying to give you thoughts that contribute to taking you to sanity. Uh, to looking at yourself in ways that help you live, that uh, are supposed to improve the quality of your life, but they're just, they're menus. This is a menu. That's all it is. Because finally, it's about, does that help you turn to yourself? Understand your mind, if it's so, that thoughts are made up. Uh, let me give you a simple example. You can do this when you get home. Uh, unless you just really walked in for the first time, maybe to keep warm or something. But I assume some of you, most of you probably have had some experience being mindful of breathing. I'm not going to say who hasn't, because then we're not going to give you a pointed hat or anything like that. But you will. Most Buddhist teachings, uh, as a beginning, helping the mind to stabilize, calm itself down, so that it's fit to be able to see accurately and clearly. So it can practice vipassana. Um, we ask you to just follow the natural rhythm of the breathing. And it turns out that if, uh, when you begin, and many people quit, uh, I've noticed less so. People seem to have more conviction these days. When, when I first came back from Asia and started teaching these things, people would get discouraged because people are often highly educated and they couldn't follow a simple thing like the breath, and they feel humiliated. Okay. You'll, when, uh, as you do that, if your mind is taken away, and at the beginning probably it is a lot, 
you'll notice what is it taken away by? One person is to have a preoccupation with the past. Over and over again, their mind re does reruns of something that's over with, again and again and again. It could be 25 years ago, and it just plays it over again, which then affects the body, affects emotions, and then you come back. Some people are constantly imagining a future. And sometimes there's a bit of wisdom in seeing that, because, hmm, why does my mind make up a past over and over again when the, the, what, what is being asked of me is simply to pay attention to my respiration? Because there's, very often there's unfinished business, something that you're supposed to do. Like, tell that person already, tell your boss that you don't like the way he's been treating you. Uh, you've been going over it, over it, and over it again for the last 20 years. It's time to tell a person, okay? Uh, or there's something you should, you should stop doing. You're doing it, it's not working, and you keep doing it over and over again. And uh, these, are, these are the malfunctions of past and future. Um, but these, these are just words from me. If they help you get to know yourself, uh, I'm going to put it in rather dramatic terms. Self-discovery, self-understanding, as far as I can tell, is, is an urgency to self-discovery. A lot of what we, what we, what's going on in the world is, uh, I don't know, billions, what, six, eight, let's just say for the moment, eight billion egomaniacs. You know, we're all bumping it. It's a wonder that we haven't, the, the planet isn't worse than it already is. Uh, so uh, a lot of what we're not seeing is how certain courses of action, uh, just the planet itself, we're... Uh, we don't, we, it's as if nature is separate from us. When we, do, when we harm nature, we harm ourselves. But we don't see that. It's not simply some ecologist tells us, scientists have shown that the ice is melting, or, so we should uh, not uh, do da 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 we're, dis we're disconnected from nature. See if you are. Some people aren't. Some people are very connected to nature, not alienated. But all these contraptions, gadgets, industrial revolution, where nature becomes just something, uh, uh, stuff that we use to do something that's much more important. So this is to reinstate that. You can see it. A love of, it's ourselves. We are nature. Okay, as you start examining it, real time is when you see the difference between what the mind makes up about a past that's over and about a future that's never going to be. Now, when would it be valid to, to use the past or the future? There are plenty of opportunities, occasions where you would. Uh, for example, um, yeah, as I said, you meet someone new and they want to know about you. By all means, you know, you share what you've, your life has been. They share what their, their life has been. There's not necessarily uh, anything wrong with that. It's when uh, you dwell on that and you're constantly involved in that at the expense of the immediate, direct, intimate experience of what's happening right here and right now with that person. So that for months, all you talk about is your biography and you haven't really listened to the other person and they haven't listened to you because often we're, our, our brains are just full of stuff. We think we're listening, but we're listening through the past. Now, that's a more subtle one. The, mo the brain is very conditioned. It's full of how we, you were all, we were all brought up in different ways. Is that correct? We, you know, and so um, 
we can't help but see things in a certain way. Now, in the Buddha's teaching, one of the most important things to do, it's where we start, really, in calm, using the breath, let's say, to calm and stabilize the mind so that it can practice vipassana, it can see clearly. One of the most important things that, that we can do is we begin to see the conditioning. We can see how habitual, how mechanical a lot of what our values, our attitudes are, that we think is spontaneous. It's not spontaneous, it's just pours out of us, our reactions, our attitudes, if you're brought up a certain way, or then, you, then you're like this. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have those attitudes, but, but when you become aware of it, it takes the power out of it. For example, you can dip into your past. The past, sometimes, your ancestors can give you a great source of strength. Let me give you an example of this, because I'm trying to help you understand the past is not irrelevant in this practice, but it has limitations. Uh, one of my main teachers was an Indian woman named Vimala Takar. She died a few years ago, and she would come to Cambridge and stay at my place, and she, was, uh, and she gave talks here at CIMC, a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And I confided in her that I had uh, problems in that I grew, uh, grew up in an immigrant family and a Russian Jewish culture poured into me, and it's very, it was very strong. And am I an American? Am I Jewish? Am I Jewish? Am I American? Going back and forth, and now what? How, now I have the, am I Buddhist? Am I Jewish? Am I American? You know, uh, am I crazy? Uh, could be. Uh, and then she paused, and she said, well, wait a minute. Uh, tell me about this, your Jewish subpart. And he said, Oh, I, I came from a very loving family, not just my immediate family, but and it was a very rich upbringing. It's just that I don't practice that religion, but it's very deeply in me. And she said, you can use that as a source of strength. And she said, tell me more. And I said, well, I come from a long line of rabbis. And she said, fine. Uh, th th that isn't the problem. The problem is, uh, and, not problem, say, you can draw upon the strength of your ancestors. But you see, in Dharma, you go beyond that. You go beyond Buddhism. Even the Buddha, in other words, uh, at a certain point, even Buddhism is something that's put together. Everything that's created has been put together. Uh, when we meet there, and I hope we, we can, and I'm not talking about some fanciful uh, yogi heaven, Buddhist heaven, it's a quality of mind. That's the whole, why do we, what's, this, what's all this fuss about being in the present moment? Why, what, what's the sutra so preoccupied with not wasting so much time avoiding the present moment? And I'll mention some ways in which we do avoid it. I think we're doing okay. Uh, what time, what time does, is it supposed to? Okay, so if I go longer, I didn't know what, what would happen. Uh, we might go longer or maybe not. Okay, just until 8.45 would be, thank you. Early stages of senility. Where, where did I leave off? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Look, um, when those are all m memories uh, that have, and some of them are very good. There's a certain strength, but 
uh, dharma, liberation, is to go beyond your conditioning. It's called, sometimes called the unconditioned. It's beyond time and it's beyond, it's timeless. Now, it's not in back of the clouds or the sun. It's actually consciousness when all, uh, the Tibetans have put it very, very beautifully. Because uh, some of it is really when you, when you start getting a taste of all this as your practice ripens and matures, you can see the basic thrust is not that complicated. Is you're learning how to let go of the clouds so that you can see the blue sky, the clear blue sky. Uh, the clouds are all these productions, who I am, who I used to be, who I think I am now, who I will be. If I practice Vipassana, then I will glow in the dark and people will love me and I'll be a great person and I'll save the human race and, uh, and there'll be no more wars and uh, walk, whatever it is. Uh, who I was, who I think I am, it's all thoughts. Um, if, as you start seeing the productions of your mind, seeing them all arise and pass away, arise and pass away, it is so much more hilarious than Saturday Night Live or whatever you think is funny. Watch your mind. Spend a day with your mind. Just walk along with it for a while. It is hilarious. It's constantly reassuring itself how wonderful you are or how awful you are. And then it's uh, praising people in your life, how great they are. No, not they used to be, but what changed them? I don't they don't call enough. I don't You know, and then it goes... Uh, and it's endlessly talking to themselves. One time I was walking through the Harvard Yard and someone from CIMC was walking and talking to herself. And then she looked up and she saw that I saw her. And she was very embarrassed. She said, oh, you saw me talking to myself. Uh, So I said, yes, I did. Uh, But look, I just think you're more honest than I am. I was talking to myself too. But I I was doing it surreptitiously. Blah, 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 blah. He said, and then she said, and then if he does that, and I'll never let that, and then, but then, uh, how can we ever elect him? You know, like, you know, I'm not political, I am political, I have my own, I voted, oh, my sticker's gone. Uh, uh, but this is, uh, everyone's welcome here, unless you want to blow the joint up, then you're not, okay. Uh, so it's to get free of that. It's to get free of that. Uh, and it's not, you don't get, for example, let's say you have a memory of the past. It's not that you get out of here, you memory. You're not supposed to be here. The Buddha said, don't get it. No, it's just, it's just that's where the, the, let me use the phrase of the sutra. Whatever quality is present, you clearly see right here, right? So whatever turns up in your mind, uh, our meditation practice, and it's not just sitting, but for the moment, uh, you know, you're, we were sitting tonight, and you, you all know that what that is, to some degree at any rate. Um, whatever turns up, it's not that we're against it or for it. We're aware of it. Which, and, and awareness here, clear seeing, vipassana seeing, is seeing without any reactivity, without judging it. Some of the things that come up, we might see ourselves in an awful light. Can we allow that to just present itself, that uh, to come up to tell its story because it won't last, and and in the light of awareness, it loses its potency. That's the power of seeing. Seeing is very powerful, but it has to be pu- it's has to be pure seeing, not for, not against. It's not detachment. To begin with, maybe we are detached because we're new at this, we're self-conscious. But more and more, as you become comfortable, you become intimate with your experience, but you're not grasping or pushing away. 
And then as that weakens, you find yourself in a deeper place in, in the heart. Um, and uh, in this deeper place, there's, I don't think you'll complain. I think you'll be happy to, to, to... It's here already. It's not that we import it from India. It's here. It's just that it's obscured by the clouds. We're so preoccupied. Oh, there goes cumulonimbus. Oh, there's a dark cloud. There's a light cloud. I think, how do we get rid of that cloud? Oh, that cloud that I liked so much, it's gone. Uh, you start seeing what thoughts really are, that they're empty. Empty doesn't mean not existent or not valuable in their proper place. If you're filling out your taxes, as some of us are doing now, thought is necessary. In your work, thought is necessary. To give this talk, thought is necessary. But then when you start going deep inside, you have to go be, you don't have to, but if you want to tap the real, if you want to flower as a human being, spiritually flower, there's, we have so, it's so rich inside. Even scientists now are seeing we just tap a small portion of the brain, a very small. So it means there's so much that we don't know. It's, you know, people who want to go to outer space, they want to go to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, there's a lot right here. We're just on the surface, like water bugs, trying to, and we're trying to improve that, constantly improve our personality. Improving our personality is possible, but it's also the continuity of sorrow, because that means making a better me, a more polite me, a kinder me, and then someone will treat you a certain way or look at you the wrong way, and then the suffering starts again. It's going beyond the preoccupation with ourselves as being the center of the universe. We're not. Then again, each one of us is important, precious. But, okay, I don't, want to, I don't want to start a sermon here. Did I already do it? Uh, <laughs> let me give you some practical examples. Now, really practical. So, Vimla Takar, what she was saying was, uh, draw upon the strength of your past. Or, if it's a horrible past then it has to be faced. It's okay. It's not because, in other words, it has to be allowed in because it is a real aspect of your existence and seen without grasping or pushing away, which that, that takes the seeing what is. I'll call what's happening right now what is. By fully paying attention to what is, that means whatever is happening right in this moment, you go beyond what is. The seeing of what is takes you beyond what is. It's not that you try to get to this spacious, silent uh, flowering of the heart. It's not that you try to get there, because the trying is more the old mind. It's the ego again. Oh, okay, I want to be enlightened. I want to be, fully, I want to be a fully awake person. That's what they say is very important in Buddhist texts. So I want it. I thought it was money. I thought it was sex. I thought it was power. I thought it was being nicely dressed, having a nice home. It isn't that. It's being spiritually very refined. That's in your new way to get to suffer. We give you new ways to suffer here. <laughs> Have you noticed? You know, there was one neurosurgeon from, uh, from uh, Mass General, obviously exquisite attention on, his, on cutting open other people's brains, and he, got to, he couldn't follow the breath, and he quit after about three, in a beginner's class, and he confessed to me, confided, he was very honest, he said, I'm, I'm not used to, I feel humiliated. I said, but everyone does. Everyone starts there because you're not looking at your brain. It's not really your brain. It's the productions of the mind which the brain secretes. Uh, 
and he left, never saw him again. So there are many of us, we, probably everyone in this room has some strong concentration about something, but it isn't about numero uno. In other words, so why is it that we seem to prefer an imaginary past, a, not imaginary, a past that's over with, and an imaginary future, to just the bare actu factuality, the actual thisness of just this moment. Let me give you some examples of how this can be used. I'll start with one dramatic one. Um, <clears throat> I lived in Korea, and I was in the Zen, Kore Zen Korean Zen tradition for five years. And I lived in a Korean Zen monastery for a year of, the, of those times. And they, every year they have a 90-day retreat uh, I was never a monk, uh, but they, I got permission. My The teacher I was practicing with was a Zen master. He got permission for me to practice. I was the only lay person there. Um, if I would abide by all the rules that the monks follow. So I did. Um, the retreat was simple. We would just get up early in the morning, sit and walk, sit and walk till we were blue in the face. Uh, there were there were three of us. Two other. There were th we were the first Americans to go to Korea in, in, in this capacity, and they were monks. Amer Americans who became monks. I was a lay person, and we didn't know when we signed up that at day 45, in other words, midway between the 90 at the, of the 90-day retreat, that their tradition has it that you must stay awake for one entire week. I'm not kidding. You're not allowed to sleep. So we all would take turns, and let's say one, the person patrolling with a stick, if you, go, if you fall asleep, <laughs> whack, you know. Oh. <laughs> uh, and the three of us, we got together. It was mainly a silent retreat, the three Americans. We were terrified and desperate. We were furious, too. Our teacher had not told us about this. You know, and but then we felt we're ambassadors of America, carrying the American flag. We can't look like wimps, you know. Uh, so, but we the first day was a nightmare. So there were no interviews unless you really wanted one. And so I requested one from this very old Korean Zen master. He must have been 94, 96. The monks carried him in. Uh, he had glasses that were like, I don't know, they don't have them anymore. Old milk bottle bottoms, you know, very thick. He was almost, he was legally blind and he couldn't walk. They carried him in, but his, his mind was quite sharp. And I told him about all this. And he said, look, you're living in the future. In other words, you're imagining what, six more days of this, no sleep. And that is, a, that's just, in t granted, it's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy for us too. Even some of us have done this many times. It's hard to stay awake for just one week intentionally, but something valuable comes out of it. And he said, so uh, instead, of, but watch your mind, and you'll see that, it's, it, that it, part of the burden, a large part, is it's feeling sorry for itself. It's got fear. It's making up what it could be like. How I couldn't get, just barely got through the first day, six more days of this torment. And you'll see that that is part of a huge burden that you're unnecessarily carrying. So, so I said, well, then what do you do? He says, just take each moment as it comes. Time to sit, just sit. Time to walk, just walk. Time to eat, just eat. 
toilet, just to, in other words, don't get ahead of yourself, don't fall back into, when I was in America, and we were also, why didn't he tell, our teacher tell us that he didn't, and we were there. And then the question was, and he asked, he says, are you thinking of going home? He says, we've had that thought. And he said, he says, are you going to say, no, we're not, because uh, we're too embarrassed to go home. <laughs> so, uh, so he said, okay, so the fact is, you are here, you're going to do the seven days, and just let go of the past, let go of your, all of your, just see it. Just see that the mind is making up, oh my God, it's day three, and how many, four, four more days of this. And, and then revisit the past with, with your annoyance and anger at your teacher for not preparing you adequately for this. Uh, and once we dropped that, I'm not saying it was easy, but at least for myself, it, I made it through. I got through, it was just so much easier. Uh, so that is seeing so much of what we're doing is unexamined in the mind about, now it isn't just about one week without sleep. Uh, the mind is often, just take the world we live in right now. We're facing a world, we're, fa we're facing a world, a catastrophic, a world in I don't know what to call our world. It's pretty, it's dangerous, it's uncertain. There's so many things going on. It's a difficult world that we're living in. And minds are making up stuff. Your mind, I know mine does, about the future of planet Earth, the future of the Middle East, the future of this, future of that. And it's not that that's wrong, because you can use the future to help behave intelligently. But you have to see that you're not misusing the mind's imagining there is no future. Future is not here yet. It, it will be here. And sometimes uh, we, we make an estimate, uh, an educated guess about the future. And here's an example I, uh, I've used because it came out of a, a yogi at CIMC. Um, this person was, my guess is 50s, maybe 55, 50, came into an interview. And she was saying she was uh, uh, constantly oppressed by future, uh, futuristic imaginings of her being in a nursing home, that she might get uh, Alzheimer's, that she wouldn't be able to control herself because there was some of this in her family. And she had a, an, and then interview after interview, that came up. And in one, she said, and I asked her, how, how often is this coming up? And she said, oh, on a daily basis, I'm worried about my future. And I'm worried about Social Security running out. And then, and then I'll go to a nursing home, and it won't be clean. And, you know, and uh, the rest of my, no one will be there to visit me. And, you know, and I'll lose my mind. And I won't be able to walk. And I went, whew. Uh, you ought to check in there right now, because you're, you're already there. And you'll be the brightest light in the whole nursing home because you're coherent, you can walk, the aides, the nurses, and the doctors will love you. You know, uh, so then, do you see what I'm getting at? In, in effect, she was like living in a reality that she made up. Now, I'm, then I backed up and I said, but look, it is possible. Uh, it is possible that Social Security would dry up or that there won't be any. Uh, and that it is possible, all these things say, but is there anything you can do intelligently? Yeah. I said, yeah, you can, she figured it out, yeah, yeah, set aside some savings. There you go, set us, so, so this imagining, if it has some practical benefits, 
not just uh, replays over and over again, exhausting you, draining energy that should be in living the present moment because it's, you're, you're killing the present moment by being in this fabricated future that doesn't exist. That's what I mean by it's a theater of the mind. Um, in terms of what can you do to take care of the brain, there's lots of research now. There are all kinds of dietary, and I won't go into that. There's lots you can do that can at least minimize the possibilities. Take care of your brain. Take care of the body. So there are things you can do. It's not a complete waste of time. Okay. Now, then, if you take this teaching narrowly, in effect, it rules out hope. You know, like, people live with hopes for the future, and often... Their present is miserable for year after year after year, uh, whether it be a marriage, whether it be whatever it is, and hope somehow they'll be changed. Somehow, I'll, somehow, things will be better. Uh, there's a common sense. In other words, that even hope has a way of being used because hope is about the future. Is everyone clear on that? Hope is about your. You have a hope that then will be better than now. Then will be an improvement. Um, I was thinking of it in terms of the world situation. Take the... Um, uh, recently, you know, I've been following the Israeli-Palestinian, you know, for years, but what you can see is that um, the Palestinians have lost hope. And so, uh, even years ago, there was an attempt to give the Palestinians hope by... Um, by finances and, and some is, uh, Israeli governments were trying to do more than the present one. By the way, they're both, it's not I'm saying the Palestinians are great and the Israelis are terrible. They're both doing it to each other. But, so if, if by giving some uh, help to the Palestinians, you give them hope because a lot of what's going on with the stabbings is they say it. They feel there's a hopelessness among young people and among uh, hope that there's some possibilities, but you have to do something that... Now, if the hope is used to build a good society, in other words, so that you regain some sense of possibilities, then you're using the future in such a way as to really benefit what's ha your actual life that's being lived right now. If you just keep replaying f fantasies of the future over and over again, to take away some of the pain of what's happening now, the, the fact there's no, very little fulfillment in the present moment, then that's a misuse of the future. So a clear seeing, Vipassana is about clear seeing, is seeing when we're using the past in ways that are harmful for us, that are not useful, when we're using the past in ways that are skillful, that actually help life. But finally, it's about the quality of this life right here, right now, for each one of us. Now, I think there's much more that can be said. Um, I know I'm going to end it up with another sutra, which is like a little commentary on this. What, this one is from the Samyutta Nikaya. Oh, I'm sorry. For those who, if there's anyone who's interested in this, the Bade Karata is the Majjhima Nikaya uh, 131. You can Google, you know, you can get it easily on the computer these days. Okay, this is a very brief teaching by the Buddha, and it's in the Samyutta Nikaya, uh, Roman numeral I, number five. Uh, 
some person sees the Buddha and uh, and the meditators, they're all practicing together, they're all t- living together. And he comes and he says, ask the Buddha, I'm paraphrasing, he says, everyone looks so radiant. You, all these people, you all look so radiant, so fresh and so happy. What's your secret? And the Buddha says, they do not lament over the past. In other words, there's a lot that has happened in every probably everyone's life, even those of you who are very young, in the past that maybe we we dwell on it over and over and over again. Okay, so they do not lament over the past. In other words, don't get obsessionally caught, taken over by the past. They yearn not for what is to come. In other words, they're not imprisoned by their imagining of what the future will be. And here's the key phrase of why it's so important. Uh, to be mindful of the present moment right here, right now. They maintain or sustain or they nourish themselves in the present. Thus their demeanor is serene. In other words, instead of uh, past and future, when we're directly in touch, when we go beyond thoughts and imaging, even happy thoughts and wonderful thoughts, and the mind becomes quiet, and we go deeper and deeper, you'll find it's an extraordinary, there's extraordinary inner richness and strength, wisdom, compassion inside this heart. It's intrinsic. Everyone in this hall has it. Now, you don't have to believe it, and it's not a matter of belief. How will you test if what I'm, maybe I'm just deluded. I'm a preacher, and uh, any, uh, you can donate something. Oh, here, just put it in the bell as you go out. Um, the only way in this approach is you have to test it. That means you have to practice. This is a practice center. You come here to learn how to meditate, to put it into action, to bring it into your life, to come back here, talk to people. Uh, it's back and forth and back and forth. And I'm, I'll read it again now. They do not lament over the past. That doesn't mean you don't use the past at all. They yearn not for what is to come. There's an unskillful use of the future. They sustain or nourish themselves in the present. This very beautiful energy in the present moment inside us, but we have to tap it. And it's, it, it, that's what it means, giving up the clouds and you get the blue sky. Thus their demeanor is serene. And this is by the Buddha. Boy, what a blabbermouth. Uh, I'm willing to go a little bit over, but if any of you, uh, if, if you have to leave, just it's fine. And if any of you can stay for a little while, I'll, I'll go for a while. I know otherwise we don't have a whole lot. And I think the next time I talk, I may in, uh, review this and go deeper into it. We'll see. But anyway, what can we talk over together? Anything? Please. And there's a mic over here. Thanks, Vicky. Anyone? Anything we can talk over together? Yes. This gentleman right here. I have a very trivial question, just because I'm really um, no such thing. Uh, after the week of no sleep, did they give you a day to just sleep? No. No. You just get back to your normal routine. Okay. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, uh, but I'll tell you one. Uh, what it, uh, do I, do we do it here? No, I do not think highly of this form. Also, did our egos go up 
my ego was 8,000 feet tall. <laughs> you know, I, I, and look, I'm doing it up. Yeah, I stayed up for a week uh, <laughs> without, without sleep. Um, yeah, it's just part of training. Uh, you, you wimps don't do that, but, you know, we, we did it. Uh, I don't think it's, uh, it, it cultivates certain qualities of mind, but it's not the subtle, more refined qualities that I really appreciate. It's that are for your whole life rather than dramatic. Your mind, you start hallucinating, you have to work through it, etc. So uh, all in all, they well, it's, it's their culture. They found it useful. Great. I... First of all, no one would do it here. If, I, if we brought this to CIMC, I'd be, uh, I'd be sitting here for a week without any sleep, and it would be empty. Maybe Narayan would join me, and that's about it. And Maddie, yeah. Okay, anyone else, please? Please, can we get uh, the mic to you? You have to hold it like an ice cream cone, right, Ms. Kusima? So, um, I remember you mentioning, like, the, uh, the impulse to not be present. Um, and I always think about how, like, our ancestors probably had to be constantly thinking about the future to find food and shelter and stuff like that, and now, you know, many of us, like, fortunate to have those things provided to us, you know, don't have to, but our mind continues to grasp. No, you see, there is, you're, you're, yes, exactly, but it's not to not use... A, a careful sense of what the future might be to make uh, uh, estimates. And it's when the mind be, uh, replaces uh, the, the intimate living experience of the present moment with constantly trying to get a good future. It's not so even now we have to survive. Maybe it's, it's not true. to forage. It's to go to Whole Foods, you yep. know. <laughs> but uh, we have to get uh, money. We have to do this. We have to do that. We have, so there's still pl a place for... Uh, for making intelligent, for example, Narayan and I, from time to time, we meet and we make, uh, we, have, we have, we call them vision meetings. We tr Narayan is, uh, is the other guiding teacher of the center, if you're new. And we try to make guesses. How's the center doing? Where is it heading? Is there some new direction that's called for, etc.? These are just guesses. They're educated guesses. But so much in life is. You do the best you can. Um, and... It's not to rule that out, but if you start seeing that so much of your life is about anxiety being replaced by trying to find futuristic solutions, and in the meantime your life is passing you by, then it would be. But I, I think our our ancestors uh, did; they needed that as survival for sure. Yes. So I guess I was wondering, since this impulse is so strong, and even like to not be present, you know, we could be absorbed in technology or romance or alcohol or whatever. Um, but I don't, instead of being theoretical, how does it apply to you? Well, it applies to me. The thing that I'm wondering is if these impulses are so strong and we want relief from being constantly distracted by them, but the, the way that I inevitably approach it is through this ego gaining mind that I want that clarity, I want to be in the present, yeah. And so if that's just another part of that yes. escape mechanism, then where does, you know, because it takes so much determination and effort to yeah. really do that, where does that effort come from if it doesn't come from? Yeah. Um, when, and uh, I don't know you, so I hope this is not, I don't know where your practice is or quote or anything like that, but um, for all of us when we begin, 
it's very difficult to really understand the power of clear seeing. Because we're so used to doing something, to get something. We don't realize that seeing is a form of action. In other words, when the mind, now by seeing here, I'm, I'm talking about a different kind of a seeing that is not encumbered by our past conditioning at all. And that we're developing the ability to look without, without being, uh, it's called dusting off the mirror. The ancients talk that way. Okay, so when the seeing starts to see what you're talking about, that starts to clarify itself. It's not that you have to do, so that uh, when you're working, let's say if you're, you bring it into work, you bring it into your love life, you bring it into family, whatever you want. In other words, it's meant to be, it's not, it's not, you don't sever it from your ordinary life. Daily life is the practice. Do you see what I mean? So, but we have to learn how to bring our ability to stay awake in the midst of action and changing field. Because it's always, so it's, it's the practice of awakening and falling asleep, awakening and falling asleep. Until the, the, as you start to see the power of the beauty, uh, for me it's more beauty than power, of clear seeing, you'll want to do it, just like anything else that you've discovered in life that has proven itself to you. I, I do sometimes experience that beauty and like dis clear discernment, yes. but then my ego comes around and goes, oh, you're, we're doing it. And yeah, then I cling to it, and then when you, it goes away, I get upset again. That? Hmm? What do you got against that? Because then, then I... No, no, no. Is a, see, in other words, if you're practicing being aware, be aware of the ego doing that. Don't get into a war with the ego, because that's one part of the ego saying, oh, he doesn't want to be egotistical. All right, I'll <laughs> pretend that I'm not egotistical. And then they go at it, and then you get caught. It's still the old mind. So do you see what I mean? In other words, nothing's exempt. There are no exemptions here. Whatever turns up, so you see the ego doing that. That's what I meant. It can be hilarious. It is funny. Yeah, because you've already begun to see it. Yeah, good. But do you see what I'm getting at? I do. Uh, please, now here's one of the uses of suttas. Sometimes people, we do get discouraged. Uh, we do, uh, 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 what we haven't tasted some of the fruit that we hear, read about in these books and hear people like me blabbing about and so sometimes a particular teaching can inspire us, or a particular phrase even, you know, a quote, and so to give us energy. But sometimes it does take some provisional conviction to keep going until you actually taste the beauty of clear seeing, and then the learning that comes out of the seeing. And finally, it's the clear seeing that frees us, that liberates us. And it's about getting free, inner slavery, freeing ourselves from that. Does that make some sense? It does. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Please, could you pass it? Yes, please. Hi, I just um, had a question about practice. So I can see the value of just focusing on the present and letting go of the past. Not, I'm not that good at it, but I can see the value. But what do you do when you feel that everyone around you doesn't see the value? Like I can just think of family situations where we have to lament everything that ever went wrong in the past five years, where it's like I just want to avoid having dinner with family at this point. Are there any tactics that you have for the people do who don't see the is, value? Look, I, I, uh, maybe uh, it's hopeless. <laughs> I agree with you. Next. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, look, I've devoted the last, I was a professor, I dropped out. I've devoted the last almost 40 years to this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm Im immersed, like my sister thought I went insane. 
my parents thought I was went insane. Uh, and the people who know that now it's in, when I started, no, why would anyone want to do this? Why would you leave a university career, et cetera? Now mindfulness is in, mindfulness-based stress reduction, being in the present, it's in, it's a, it's a growth industry, right? Mm -hmm. Magazines and, you know, it's everywhere, okay? So people are, okay, I guess he wasn't too stupid, maybe he picked up something. <laughs> um, but still, most people in my life, almost all, not the people I know who are doing this stuff, mm -hmm. my, a lot of them are close friends, but not all of them are, and certainly family. My sister still does not have a clue. Now, when we would get together, because I love my sister, but we don't have that much in common. And, it, and what I learned was, don't try to peddle this stuff to anyone. Yeah, they don't listen. Don't, don't sell <laughs> Buddhism. Be a Buddha. <laughs> don't try to, because it doesn't work. And what I learned was, hmm, she can't, I, I, I started to resent, this is some years ago, that I'm always asking her questions about herself and her family and her two children, and now she has grandchildren and her husband, but she doesn't ever ask me about myself. But then it took me a while when I realized the reason she doesn't is that she, she doesn't know what to ask. She doesn't have a clue as to what I'm doing. And it's just she tried. She really tried. And so I've had to work on my resentment, sort of like your sister is not the least, she's, she's interested in you, she loves you, but she doesn't know what the papa da papa da papa you're doing, <laughs> and so that uh, what you have to do is this might help. It's not going to. I don't know of a perfect solution. Maybe there's some teachers who do. You're going to. You have reactions, right? Uh, relation relationship is a very rich practice, but maybe the most difficult one, even more difficult than sitting, more <laughs> difficult than than staying awake for one week which is like Bruce's strength and will. Uh, that means, let's say, someone, whoever you have in mind, starts repeating the same old complaining, whining, and so forth, and you feel the reaction. Become aware of it. That's the practice in action, in action. Now, what tends to happen as you get better at that, and at first you won't be able to do it, you'll, because our, the conditioning is so powerful, uh, and the urge to, uh, you'll be fed up and so tired of hearing it. See that. See how tired you are of hearing it. See how frustrated. But just become, gently allow it to flower. Uh, do you see what I'm getting at? Mm -hmm. And then it withers away. And what replaces it is um, much, the, a much more calm, clear, steady place. And I don't know what would come out of it. It might be silence. It might be, you might even say the same things you normally would say, but the energy would be different. It's not the energy of a reaction which has a lot mm -hmm. of me in it and judging in it. And uh, I don't know what would come out of it, but it might be wiser and kinder. It might be. Mm -hmm. So, but that means, again, the Buddha is always throwing the ball back to you. Okay. Do you see what I mean? I do. Thank yeah. you. Please. Um, I have a question about practice. Sure. Um, I thought all of this is about practice. <laughs> if it isn't, I'm, I'm screwed up the whole talk. But all right, go ahead. Yeah, uh, when I, uh, I, I thought the goal is uh, when you sit, you uh, try to uh, follow the breathe, uh, calm your it's mind. It's one method. It's one method. Yeah. And then some thought keep coming. I yes. thought that's a bad thing because you're supposed to... Um, to like just pay attention to your breath yes. and get uh, deep concentration. So at what point you think you start doing clear seeing? Because yeah. it looks like clear seeing. You're new to the practice, right? 
What? Are you new to the yeah, practice? Yeah, I'm new to the practice. Yeah, okay. Uh, I don't mean this, you know, we're not giving you a pointed hat. It's just uh, I, so I can be better try to answer your question. Yeah. First of all, you're in a war with thinking. Th there's nothing wrong with thinking. Uh, in other words, what are you going to do? You're going to try to stamp out thinking? It's more thinking. So here's, here's I'll act it out for you. Mm -hmm. You know, in, out, in, out, blah, 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 blah. Just let it come and go as long as you don't get caught in it. But typically what happens is here comes a thought about the future. Whew. You get caught and it takes you on a you know, train of thought. You get on the train. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, 10 minutes are gone and you're in uh, <laughs> Toledo, Ohio. You know? <laughs> and uh, then, uh, oh yeah, and then you come back to the breath, but the bell is rung, it's over. Um, so it's gentle and it's accepting. And if thoughts are coming, but you're still with the breathing, don't see them as the enemy. They're just clouds coming and going, coming and going. Because if you try to make yourself be calm and peaceful, the trying itself is a form of disturbance, of vexation. Do you see what I'm getting at? Mm -hmm. So relax, enjoy the show. But the feature, what's featured, is the breathing. Allow the breath to happen. It doesn't look like you're convinced. <laughs> Do you see what I'm getting? Now, here's what uh, we run into a lot, all of us. We're used to doing things to get what we want. And here we're learning the art of not doing, the art of allowing. It's a new skill. There are times when you have to actively do things, but here's the art of allowing. And what we're learning how to allow is, first we'll allow the breath to follow its own rhythm. Don't impose a rhythm on it. And if thoughts are coming and going, that's a fact. They're not good. They're not bad. They're just... So the brain is constantly secreting thoughts like digestive juices, you know, from a gland, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but if you're able to mainly feature in, out, and wherever you've decided to pick that up, fine. But then as soon as you get caught, on the tr caught up in either the thoughts about the past, typically, or the future, as soon as you see that, whether it's five minutes or five years, as soon as you see it, what can you do? It's over with. So instead of wasting time beating yourself up, just gently return to the breath. Little by little, you settle into the breath and what has happened to... This has been going on for thousands of years, way before the Buddha. The breath has been used to bring in calm, awareness, and concentration, not just in ancient India, but for thousands of years, way before the Buddha. And thousands of people, countless, who knows how many people, have used it. You don't have to be a Buddhist. You don't have to be religious. It's just factual. As you're more and more attentive to, to breathing, the mind and body settle down. Because the breath conditions, the breath is situated between the mind and the body. If the breath smooths out, then the mind calms down, the body calms down. They're all affecting each other. But if you get into a war with thought, just see that. But just... So it, uh, it's a learning the art of allowing and then just being present to receive the breath. It's a different skill. It's learning how to just receive what's happening. But we're clean seeing. So it's, at this stage, it's still not Vipassana. It's, well, technically, if you want to use labels, it isn't. No, it's shamatha, it's called. But don't get caught up in the labels. Um, all you can do is bring the level of clarity that you have. Can you bring more than what you have? you have? Everyone has to start with their life as it is. We have no choice. Are you going to be someone? Uh, well, I'd like to be more like you. You've been practicing for, you say, 40 years. Well, why can't I be more like You can't. You have to be you. So whatever deck of cards you've been dealt, does that phrase mean anything? Whatever you, however your mind 
heart, emotions, body. That's what you have to work with. You have no choice. You have no choice. I have no... We start there. But the awareness, and this, there's no... You have to have preliminary conviction. Many people before you have done this. It's not mysterious. It's even being science... There's studies now, research being done, that has proven that this affects brain waves and the body, and etc. But your attitude is one of struggle and getting somewhere, and that's what's keeping you from getting somewhere. In other words, you get the calm, not by trying to get calm, but just by being with what is. Does Thank it, you. Does it yes. make more sense now? Yes, yes. One last something or other, if there is anything. Yes, please. Could we get the mic over to that gentleman? Thank you. Um, I was uh, interested in what you were saying, uh, sort of outside of the sutra, about um, not just the way that we fabricate the past and the way that we fabricate the future, but the way that we fabricate the present moment. Yes. Um, I, that wasn't a, fabricate wasn't exactly the w word that you there, used. There are other but, words you can use. Um, but um, I was just wondering if you could elaborate on that uh, and what that danger is and how to how to be aware of it. Yes. Uh, it's my answer. It's, oh, it's now the past. Uh, I'll end with this story, and then you figure it out. <laughs> Got to make you guys work, too. You know, I'm, I'm not going to do all the heavy lifting. Uh, in ancient China, there was a, someone who was a scholar and knew everything about the Diamond Sutra. And he heard about these people who were practicing Zen in one part of China. They were practicing something similar to what we're doing. And he had all these books. He didn't meditate, but he, he knew everything about this. It's a very important Buddhist sutra, the Diamond Sutra. So he came from one end of China to visit this teacher who had all these students, and he was going to challenge him because he felt this is stupid. This person, what they're doing makes no sense. So in, in those days, they still have now tea houses, Okay, and uh, there was a woman, so he stopped at a tea house, and tea was to refresh. Are you with me? Oh, I'm with you. Okay, because my feelings were hurt. You yawned. I, I feel very hurt. I to the bottom of my lungs. What? Uh, okay, I just feel very hurt. Work, what, should I work with it? Okay. Okay. Um, so he came to this tea house, and there was this elderly woman, and she was a, a meditator and a highly skilled one. And, and he, uh, she said, what have you got in that big knapsack? She says, oh, I'm one of, the, one of the great experts on the Diamond Sutra. And I'm going to this monastery to straighten them all out because they don't really understand what the Buddha was talking about, blah, blah, blah. And then she said, okay, I'll make you an offer. I'll ask you something. In the Diamond Sutra, it says there is no future, there is no past, and there is no present. So which mind are you going to enjoy the tea with? If you get the right answer, the tea and food will be free. If you don't get the answer, no tea, no nothing, you're out of here. So he went, blah, 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 he couldn't answer it. Because um, the, the truth is, I was given this koan. And here, I'm, I, ask, I am giving you a kind of a hint against my better judgment, but all right. I would probably spoil children if I had. All right. Um, 
someone gave me this koan for myself. I, over and over again, I got thrown out. That's the way they do it in uh, Japan and Korea. You don't get the right answer, tingling out. Can't get away with that here. You have to say, oh, it's just so fine, you know, just keep trying, everything will work <laughs> out. You know, uh, otherwise we get sued or whatever. Um, so finally, it's just the present moment is, there, in a sense, there is no present moment because as soon as you open your mouth, it's gone. Do you see what, uh, so what, what this person was saying is just, uh, now what I did was whatever was happening was a hot day. I just took out a handkerchief and clean, cleared my brow. And finally, after many times getting it wrong, the teacher said, fine, good answer. In other words, all you can do is fully be in the present moment. And then, so, do you see what I'm getting at? It's, now, sometimes we have so many ideas about what's happening to us that we're not in touch with what's the content of the present moment. And you can see that if you pay attention. Like, you're washing the dishes, and it looks like you're fully present. But let's say you have childhood memories where your mommy made you wash the dishes. Uh, this actually is my sister and I would take turns washing dishes and I hated it. Okay, so it's me, it's, it is biographical. Okay, so now here I am, hundreds of years later, and I'm still, my mommy is long gone to mommy heaven, and here I am washing. Okay, you're, from the outside looking in, I'm washing the dishes, I'm in the present moment, but I'm not, because the mind is taken up with a little bit of, you know, I'll get this done fast and get it over with. I'm not in touch with the water, the dishes, I'm not, do you see what I mean? I've killed the present moment, the quality of it. I'm not fully alive because I'm divided. Does that make sense? Good. I think we'll have to call it quits. Uh, thank you all very much uh, for your patience and for your attention. And uh, the, the last two rows have to be stacked up. Oh, the front and the back. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.